Reality TV isn't known for inspiring creativity and innovation. It can often be an intellectual sinkhole. However, for those who frequent Bravo and Lifetime, you might have come across the show Project Runway. The series challenges contestants to create and design original garments when given time, material, and theme constraints. In the episodes, host Heidi Klum will often say, in fashion, one day you're in, and the next day, you're out. What can educators do, though, when they feel themselves being driven out by constraints? What can you do to stay in and make it work? That's all coming up in today's Grounded Learners Guild meeting. Come join us. Welcome to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coakland, and Jenny Labrie. Educator, author, fashion therapist, mentor, and co-host of the Project Runway series, Tim Gunn, would famously pop into the workroom as the designers are in the middle, in the thick of their creative process. He would listen to their designs, provide them feedback, and ultimately exit the studio before final runway with his signature catchphrase, make it work. Educators often find themselves with similar limitations and constraints, just like we would see on Project Runway. Teachers, we are creatives tasked with designing innovative, rigorous, and inspiring learning experiences with our students in mind, but we'll often struggle with finding time, resources, and the inspiration needed to make it all work. In this episode, the Guild will share strategies that help remind you of your role as a designer and remember that you are fierce. Our intention is by the end of this episode that you can recognize the creative benefits of the make it work mindset, the eventual downfalls, and the steps that you can take both as a teacher and a leader to fuel the fires of inspiration and avoid creative burnout. Since the pandemic has started, I've become a major reality TV junkie. So that's perhaps where the inspiration for a lot of this episode's metaphoric connections come from. Was it just just because of of this? But weren't you always watching a lot of TV? (laughs) I see. I was always a TV person, but typically I steered away from reality TV Uh, um, because of its, you know, mind numbing escapism, ridiculousness. And I like, I like the creative process. I like to give my eyes and attention to that. So I don't know what's going on with me right now. But did either of you two watch Project Runway back in its back heyday? Back in the day. <laughs> I, d- I said well, back I in its heyday. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely did. I, it was like a, a college thing. When I was in college, I would watch it. I've got to own a thing. Uh, I am actually that horrible person who never watches like the nice and creative shows where people make things or do anything productive. I'm like watching like The Bachelor and 90 Day Fiance and just like the total (laughs) dregs of society. So apologies. I'm mildly out of my element here. But as far as make it work mindset goes, I have some experience there. My favorite season, and I actually remember it distinctly, was the Christian Siriano season, like seeing where he is now and seeing how he started it's just it's so fun to think about first let's kind of talk about what is that that phrase mean make it work mindset so emily what does that kind of mean to you 
So I sort of said it by accident in a moment of improv when I was doing the what's coming up in episodes to come. I kind of said square peg, round hole, smash it in. But I that's kind of what I think of when I think of a make it work mindset is you're in a situation where the fix isn't automatically apparent or where there's going to be a built in struggle to get to the from where you are to where you want to be. And Instead of having a very clear process forward, somebody just thinks of an idea or a solution and thinks of it quickly, and then you just act. Just make it work. Make it happen. For me, well, when I think of this, especially when we come to thinking about educators, at at the very heart of who we are, we're creatives. We are, we like to design. We're designers and we want to do that. And when we get into the the lesson planning and then the the working through problem solving, all of that is really enticing on the onset. However, when you get in the thick of it and you get into the day in and the day out and there's so many other things coming at you, sometimes you lose that designer mentality and not because you willingly do so, but because you're just kind of downtrodden. And so when you think of a make it work mindset is how can we leverage the make it work in our favor so that when we're feeling a little bit like on the downside of things, I guess the mantra that we've, we've been talking about in preparation for this episode is that you're a designer and you are fierce and leveraging that as your power instead of the thing that takes away all that energy and the, the creative passion that you love to do. Right. I mean, it's the problem. Here we have a problem and we have to have a solution. It's like the Apollo 13 thing. These are the resources that we have in front of us. How can we make a, a solution happen in spite of this difficult problem that we're all sort of facing. And I think like Jenny, you were saying, there are positives to that make it work mindset and there are negatives. So there's a duality that goes along with that scenario. So let's kind of talk about that. What are some of the upsides, Jenny, that you have found when it comes to the make it work model and the make it work mindset? What the first thing that comes to mind is I cannot explain the feeling that I'm going to try my best to explain the feeling that came as a result of when we found out as instructional technology coaches that a pandemic hit and we had literally 36 hours to get an entire school system virtually remote was one of those things that was like, holy cow, we are, how are we going to do this? And there was that you could approach it as th- there's no way or you could approach it as no we're going to make this work and we did and Casey you talked about that Apollo 13 mentality like we saw that in action and it was just incredible to see the amount of people in leadership roles literally working on the exact same project at the exact same time and watching our teachers say we are going to make this happen we're going to be here for our kids and and so that was just a really interesting way to see that even with the constraints that were all there, how it energized people, and it it was driving the creativity and innovation forward in a way I had never seen before. Yeah, I would say you the way you think of te- you mentioned earlier that all educators are creatives. That every educator has their their inner designer, their in their inner fierce designer, and it was fascinating to see that come out in people. I mean, I, I saw a teacher who was weeks away from retirement trying out new technology with their class just to try to reach them. You know, a lot of times that's when someone might dial back to phone it in mode, but instead they were continually pushing forward trying new things. I've never seen that many people simultaneously inspired to try something new or try something else or be flexible or just pull something else out of the bag. 
to attempt to reach students on a different level, connect with students, and reach them where they were during that time. I think there was, as much as there's a lot that is unfortunate about this time period and what everybody is missing, I think, again, we'd be remiss not to acknowledge the amount of creativity and just being game, being willing to try, that has come from people's being thrown in to make it work mindset the way we have been. Those constraints, I really believe, drive that creativity and innovation. It's almost like when you have those limits put on something and you have that specific problem that you're solving, you almost create like a tunnel vision where it blocks out everything else and all the naysaying and all the skepticism that would come into, no, this is why this won't work. All of that kind of shrinks down and is removed from focus so that you could just zero in on finding a solution to that problem. But I also think that there is something to be said for the kinds of relationships that come out of those arm linking moments. We are making this happen. We are moving forward as a group kind of moments um, is because you all were there in that I'm going to use the the metaphor lightly of the war room, the work room, mm-hmm. you know, feeling that humming energy being a part of that. And I was on my maternity leave at the time. So I wasn't a part of that scenario. And I just remember feeling a little lost when I did rejoin the group. So can you guys talk a little bit about what that bonding process was like during? Well, that no phase? doubt the trauma truly builds relationships and bonds like no other. And so if you are able to recognize that even through some of the hardest times we're talking that some of us may ever feel, and I think moving forward, even if it's not completely pandemic or whatever, it's if you recognize that you're sitting in a hard situation and recognizing the people around you, if you've got those shared experiences to lean on that and recognize like what kind of bonds are we going to form out of out of the trials that we're experiencing in this moment? I would even add on to that. I mean, and this is kind of a connection all the way back to our first episode where we were talking about finding your guild and establishing your strengths and your weaknesses and looking at those of the people that surround you. I think that that the that type of energy and that type of need to act and act quickly and everybody needs to be functioning and firing on all cylinders, that's really a good way to start picking out some of the people that surrounds you's strengths. You can start seeing what other people are good at when pressure is applied to them in a situation, what they are good at starts to rise to the top. For instance, one of our colleagues was really good at consistent daily communication with staff. And it was to the point where we would use his communications because they were so good to communicate with our staff. And when you start to look around and see what other people excel at, it kind of helps you build out your own guild and help you work through your own skill set in a high pressure situation, make things more apparent what treasures surround you in human form. Yeah, we kind of liken this to here, we'll pull out another metaphor, thinking about the idea of carbon. So when you put carbon and it's under pressure, it can form a diamond, but it's got to go through a lot of pressure. And so that's that's another way of thinking about the upside of when you're in a make it work situation, how to make that meaningful to you. And to Emily, your point about recognizing people's strengths, that's the other thing is you can help other people with your particular strengths as well. It's a collaborative effort and being a part of that is truly a necessity. 
So we've talked about the the benefits that that kind of pressure, that sort of challenge with limitations and constraints can lead to. Let's talk about some of the downsides to make it work. And I think the biggest downside that I can think of talks about or connects to the sustainability of that. You know, you can only live in that heightened, tunneled state for so long before things sort of fall apart. Do you both feel the same way? Absolutely. When you think about a high pressure situation and the way the brain and the body react to heightened stress, unfortunately, the mental burden that that puts on every member of that system, even though for a time, it can bring out the very, very best in people. I mean, there were definitely, like I said, on, on the good end of things, some moments where you're so grateful for the people that surround you, you could cry. But on the flip side, it wears down. So I think, Emily, what you're describing there is also happening. You're not saying something people don't know, already know, especially because this is just everywhere, because now we all have a shared experience globally. But what are some of the things that we can do to make it better? Well, and I think one of the hacks and strategies that we, that Emily, you already mentioned was the lean into your strengths and your guilt. The cream always rises to the top. So when you do have a strength and you're really good at something, when you're in that make it work workroom, it's really important that you lean into that strength and kind of leave that uh, responsibility to that person and trust that their strength is going to lead you through. What's another hack? Well, the other hack that we wanted to talk about, but I do think, Casey, this is one of your strengths, and I'll, I'll set it up for you, but I want you to spike it home, is that paying attention to the pattern, what patterns are evolving. And the reason why I think you will speak best to this is because you've shown us how to do this. And no one could see a pandemic coming. So obviously that breaks the pattern. It's different. Mm -hmm. But yeah. typically within a, a system, there are key markers or key events that come up every single year. And so once you're able to sort of get a sense for what your system's needs are, where your system wants to go, what the vision is, you can kind of anticipate when those high pressure scenarios are going to come. If you know that your school system and you have six institute days over the course of the year, you've got to backwards plan that out. So you know by this time I have to have this done or by this time I have to ask this person this because I know if I don't ask or if I don't have something in my back pocket ready to go, it is entirely plausible that a week out someone's going to ask me for something. So I've gotten very attuned to what the visions are, what the goals are, and kind of backwards plan things out. My calendar is my lifesaver for that exact reason. So really paying attention to the pattern so that you can pre-plan and anticipate what those constraints are before it actually comes your way. That anticipation is something you do every single day. You'll send something an email. I'm like, how did you even think to think of that right now? So that when you can get good at the anticipation, and I think it takes time and expertise learning the system. You have to learn the system and learn the quirks of the system and the people behind the quirks. Then you start to recognize those patterns. It's just I even in my personal life, I find those key moments because if I don't, my brain struggles in that high pressure situation. I try to keep my anxiety as low as possible by anticipating what possible situations 
can come up. So high side of anxiety, I guess, <laughs> but still working on it. There's a plus side to everything. And what I would say is if that is not a, if that pre-planning or that forward planning and that recognizance of patterns within a system is not a skill that comes naturally to you, this once again goes back to that first hack of leading into the strengths of your guild members. We're lucky to have you, a person mm-hmm. who does look at a calendar and think about an entire year, you'll be thinking about our beginning of the year professional development, which I jokingly call our Super Bowl. You'll be thinking about that in April of the previous oh, push school it year. back, girl. No, yeah, yeah. February. <laughs> yeah. February. But case in point, if it was me, I'd be thinking about it in July. So yeah. you need a Casey in your guild. Uh, you And if you don't, if you're not that person, I admit I am not, but I think you need to have somebody that you can count on who does that pattern seeking and pre-planning for all of you. So yeah, guild up. Again, back to our original metaphor of the Tim Gunn. I didn't realize that he was an actual teacher. He was on the faculty of Parsons School for Design. And so thinking with that little bit of context back at these episodes in my mind, I love that his exchanges with the designers even more. Because he would often, when he's having those feedback conversations, he would say, this concerns me enormously. And I mean, it's all about him providing that feedback and trying to get people thinking. But that oftentimes is the way I feel when we're in those make it work scenarios. And Jenny, I feel I have learned a great deal about our next hack from you. Such a kumbaya segment here, isn't it? <laughs> we always do. <laughs> so what's this next one? Oh, so the setting your boundaries. You've, yes. I guess you've learned that from me, maybe? I have. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those that I... I feel like a broken record sometimes that I'm, I continuously say that I'm working on this skill because I'm working on this skill. But the setting your boundaries is so, so important. As professionals, whether you're a professional educator or elsewhere, you and your family and your people and your life are your priority. And so you always have to look at it through that lens. And it's hard to, it is so hard to because you give your all. And if you are a professional, you want to do the best work you possibly can do. And so when people ask things of you, or make requests that are stretching you too thin, it's that art of saying, how do you say no, but that when you say no, you're making a yes for something else. That's why boundaries are so very important. It's a hard thing to do. But again, it's one of those strategies and hacks that we wanted to talk about. Because if you can learn how to say no to something, then you're saying yes to another thing. And sometimes those yeses need to come elsewhere. And how do you communicate that effectively? Because that's hard, especially if you have a supervisor or a boss that's telling you, make it work. But you have to set some kind of boundary within that make it work mindset in order to push ahead. Right, because that's another one of those downsides. If you aren't setting those clear boundaries and norms, you're going to break relationships and your your total morale is just going to flush. Boundaries really, really help. Not to continue the kumbaya, but I am going to. Emily, what I've loved about sort of your journey as a coach is you've really honed your skill in the next hack about asking questions. Do you want to talk about that one a little bit? 
Yeah, I think sometimes just having the right questions in your pocket or even as you're listening to somebody talk about something or starting to hear about the scope of a situation. Case in point, when you're coming into something like pandemic and moving remote or moving hybrid, what you need to be starting to do is ask questions that are going to figure out particularly what are the constraints and what are the expectations. So the biggie that we were trying to answer going into the pandemic is what is expected of teachers and what is expected of students. What does everybody need to be doing to make this work and make this work effectively? But what can we do to get everybody through and what is every stakeholder responsible for? Those to me were key questions during that point in time. And during any of these high stress situations where you're in a make it work mindset, you ha might have to stop, slow down, ask some questions and learn the constraints. I don't want to go into the design thinking wormhole too deep, but it is one of my true loves in teaching and coaching is looking at, at design thinking. And something I think that's very good about it is in the empathy phase of design, you start by learning the constraints. You start by learning what you're up against, what limits you, what's going to be difficult, and what's going, what everyone needs. And then by gathering that information and asking those questions, you learn the constraints, and that's how you're able to start setting a plan and coming up with a draft of what you're going to do. And I would also mention along with that to consider that the plans that we make or the things that we put into action during a make it work mindset, these things are a little bit flexible. We need to learn that it's like working with clay. What you make isn't dried and set. Fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not ready to go. Sorry, I'm not good at pottery. But um, <laughs> I would say that you need to consider that nothing is set in stone. And I think, Casey, this is something that you also do very well. And like it or not, and we've talked about, you know, being the pot stirrer, and I hope we don't mm -hmm. typecast you now. But I think the reason it sometimes comes across as you're stirring the pot is because you're asking these questions, but they're so important. They're such important questions that need to get answered. I need to know what all the limitations yeah. are. I ha in order to really zero in on the solution, it's part of that empathy phase that in order for me to really understand what are what are the tools that we have available to us, what's the target, what's the fo all of those questions will help direct us with which scenario because in my head, I have like four different pathways, kind mm -hmm. of with it, at least a basic framework of four or five different options. But in order for me to pick and help our team come to a conclusion on which one to pick, we have to know what all those different pieces are. So I ask to get clarity on what the constraints and the limits actually are. And so to our listeners, don't apologize for asking questions, especially if you do it and approach it in a way that's kind. Those questions are necessary for you to do your job, especially if you're feeling like you're in that situation where you're you're being asked to make it work. Yeah. And it's, it's, I phrase it in such a way like, I need to ask a clarifying question so that it primes the person. It's clarifying. Mm -hmm. It's not meant to put anybody in a defensive sort of position. It's we need to know that information in order to help our systems make the best decision possible. And Emily, I also think it's important to, when you're in that, empathy phase of design thinking, not only looking at questioning and trying to ask those questions, but I also think empathy is really about putting yourself in the position of other people and actually paying attention. How are people looking? 
are they disjointed? Are they disconnected? Are they worn down? Are they exhausted? And what can you do to genuinely let people know that you see them? Well, and I do think that it's kind of interesting to me how this episode itself is kind of turning out to be such a love fest. I think that we joke around about Kumbaya, but when you're put in to make it work and you start looking closely at the people around you and picking out what they're skilled at and what they're doing to help you and to help you grow as a professional or let's just be frank sometimes just what they're doing to help you survive this phase of life or this moment in time i i think it really can it can help us be more attentive to each other because we need each other so much during this. Being in make it work mindset, especially for a sustained amount of time, like we mentioned, it can break people, but it can also make them very vulnerable and more aware of what other people can do for you, but also who might be sharing that vulnerability, who's struggling and who's riding the struggle bus with you. And I know we've talked about Brene Brown before on this podcast and Casey's already like love fest some more Sigh. <laughs> but but that vulnerability and she studied it I mean she's researched vulnerability and Casey and your Twitter background of your Twitter page where it says like vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation and change and that's what she has said when she has studied this and researched this and so again how do we shift that fork in the road and make sure you take the direction of innovation and change rather than breaking people with that relationships and that connection and being able to be vulnerable can be a good thing, but you've got to put in the time. Yeah, you got to crawl in that hole right alongside them with them and be there with them. And the, one of the things that I've heard a couple times in the coaching community even is start and end off topic that has never been more important than it is right now. When you're yeah. in make it work and when your teachers or your colleagues or the people that you work with are in a make it work mindset and everybody is in that high intense pressure situation, it doesn't seem like you have five minutes to chit chat, but sometimes that is the most important conversation in that person's day. Yeah. When somebody asks, how are you really? Mm -hmm. No, really, how are you? And then I think finally is knowing when to say, as Heidi Klum does, I'm going to butcher it. I'm going to try though. Alfita's saying when to say, you know, bye, I need to go fuel the fires of my own passion. And this happened to me personally. My previous experience was teaching at a private school. And in addition to teaching junior level honors lit classes, I was also doing technology coaching at the same time. And it got way too much. I it was always trying to find the time not feeling good enough in my teaching practice with the teachers I was working on having to say no to way too many people for the things that I wanted to do and felt really passionate about. Because you can't, I could not sustain that make it work in that realm anymore. So I had to say Alfita saying I had to say goodbye because it wasn't sustainable for me. I'll probably be processing this as I'm saying it right now, but this applies to I guess I didn't even think about this until I looking at the outline and it just popped in my head. But my teaching career, I was in the classroom and coaching simultaneously for several years. And so doing that dual role that you talked about that you get so personally 
personally, I got overworked because I had to make some decisions about where my passion lies. And I'm thinking of a specific conversation I had with somebody outside of this guild, particularly, where they said, if you were to step outside of the classroom and take on a full-time coaching role, is that where you want to be? And and my answer was, I think I've, I'm finding my passion working with adult learners. And that's a really hard thing. And Emily, especially because you've seen this progression throughout of me trying to come to this understanding of myself as how do I leave the classroom and still find my passion in teaching and all of that? And and that's been empowering because I feel like I'm starting to find where I'm meant to be, what my calling is, my niche, whatever you want to call it. But I had to say goodbye to something. And that's something particularly, at least in this point in time, was I'm not in the classroom currently working with my Spanish students. And that was because I had to prioritize something to find my passion. And I had to say goodbye. Yeah. And it's not easy to do. Maybe a thought I would add to that. And yeah, I definitely think that they're saying off Vieter saying something where you stop doing something and start doing something completely different is definitely one way to handle that type of situation. But for those who aren't in a position where they're able to move into something, you know, away from something and into something else, and maybe where all of the things that are on your plate are going to continue to be on your plate, I would say that you need to give your, be able to say Auf Wiedersehen by way of also giving yourself some permission to be okay at some things and great at others, or maybe even not great at some things and great at others. And this is coming from a place of being a mom to twins who at one point were babies. And there were a lot of things during that phase of life where I just had to be straight up I'm okay at this. I'm not excelling at this. I am doing very good at sleep training. I am not doing very good at getting them trained to solid foods. It's going to be okay in the end. You sometimes just need to, and I know it is so hard because perfectionism and the desire to do well by others is such a part of our marrow, but I think it's incredibly important for people to realize that Auf Wiedersehen isn't always just goodbye forever. But it might just be Alvidersen to perfectionism in this area. I, love I think that. we need to have permission to just be okay at some of the things that are on our plate when there's too many things on our plate. And to lighten the mood, you say Alvidersen, so, uh, but so I can't even say it that well. Why? Why can you pronounce German so well, Emily? Um, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law are both fluent in German. My mom was a German speaker. I think she took high school German for a while, and I know a lot of random songs and phrases in German, like uh, "Was hängt da aus dem Fenster," which means "What's yeah. hanging out the window." Like you can just <laughs> say some stuff in German. So yeah. To continue in this squirrel moment, can you also tell our listeners about your twins' two-year-old birthday party theme? Oh, that was the funnest. Speaking of. Of things that fire your passion. I like planning parties a lot. And when my <laughs> twins turned two, we did a uh, birthday party that was Oktoberfest themed. So my kids were like full on lederhosen and like <laughs> sausage and pretzels and beer by the Stein. It was so much fun. If anybody here has a kid turning two anytime soon, I highly recommend that party theme, assuming that we're in a place where we can party again at some right. point. And October, right. being right. a birthday in October made made sense too. I don't yeah, know. That's April true. if it would have the same effect. I yeah, mean, March Tuberfest is not so fun. <laughs> I'd just do it anyways. All you need is the two and the pun. I think you're good there. But yeah, it does help if they're born in October like mine are. I guess we looked into that one. All right. Fun with German brought to you by the Grounded Learners Guild. <laughs> <laughs> so Emily, you want to wrap us up for today with our big key takeaways and then we'll play our game? Sure thing. So I think that the key takeaways here could be parsed out by looking at your role within a system. If 
if you are a leader, one of the things you can do is really lean into that hack where you're asking questions. And in fact, instead of making demands of your people, ask questions. How can we help you make it work? And a really key question a couple of leaders asked us when we were in that pandemic planning moment was, how, what do you need? What do you need from us to make this work? Leaders who ask that question to their people when they're in a, a moment to make something work, it, it allows for everybody to feel that support and feel that collaboration within the system and move towards that common goal of making that Apollo 13 rescue happen without anybody falling burden to that feeling. The other takeaway here for teachers or those of us working within the middle of the make it work mindset, not in the leadership role per se, would be to keep your relationships strong. Like I said, guild up, know your guild, know your people, know who you can count on, look at other people and also be self-aware enough to know what you need. Focus on what's good. There definitely were quite a few positives that we had mentioned about the creativity and the innovation and the willingness to try new things. Focus on what's good and focus on your people and you can ride it out. It's not an easy way to live. And like we mentioned, it's, it's difficult to sustain, but these things are things that people can do and have done at a astounding, impressive, difficult rate, but we're all still here. The, the fierceness is able to shine through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Most likely to time. So first question, which of us is most likely to win Project Runway? So for Emily's clarification, Project Runway is the designer. Who is the master designer? Okay. I know what Project Runway is. I know I watched <laughs> Crash Reality well, TV. I, did, but. <laughs> I didn't want you to think it was the model that's the one who wins. No, that's America's like, Next Top Model. I did watch that I know. one. <laughs> I'm just making sure you know the difference. Oh, man. All right. Mm -hmm. Most likely to win Project Runway. That's hard because that pits each one of us against each other. And as we've established, the guild is stronger together. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going to be that guy, and I'm going to say it's me, and I'm going to tell you why. You. You're just me. waiting for Emily to admit it herself. I don't have a fashion sense, but, like, fashion's really weird. The things you see on the runway are not necessarily the things that people are wearing in their day-to-day -day life. They're just creative and outrageous and eye-catching and... I'm crafty. I love making Halloween costumes. I've made all of my kids' costumes by hand or in, in collaboration with my mom, who also does the same type of action. And making things is fun. And I can make weird things really well out of just about anything. Yeah, I was going to say you too, Emily, because... The flower arranging is your other secret ninja skill. And so I think you could have some awesome headpieces made out of your <laughs> floral so arrangement. You do a really good job of reading other people and what people want. So I could see you knowing the market and knowing the model's needs to look right. It's design you're, thinking, You're very baby. good at that it. empathy phase. <laughs> yep. You're very good at that empathy phase. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Right, what's <laughs> next? MacGyver themselves out of a tricky situation. Finding the glue gun to attach your seams together. Probably Casey. I think yeah. maybe Casey. I think you're you can make anything... So the things that you're able to pull out of thin air or you're just like, I got this. I, I got it. I'm gonna Your ability to connect ideas together under pressure is unequaled. I think that you would be better. I might be more crafty in the physical sense, but if I'm locked in the trunk, I'm probably just screaming. Uh, you'd probably be the one finding the, finding the latch while you scream. <laughs> well, Why did you go from that to in a trunk? 
I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, what I was thinking about was the time that I locked my keys in the car before uh, before a professional training session. That, that's another. We story. have learned a lot of interesting things about you in the last, I don't know, 20 minutes. Yeah. I don't know. Is that why we're podcasting? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I, I struggle with that one because... I could see myself thinking, but my guess is the timer would go off and I would explode before I would able, be able to really execute the solution. Who would most likely have a make it work meltdown? Crack under the pressure. I, I'm going to own it. I feel like that would be me. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you'd find a solution, but you'd be mm-hmm. screaming the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> you'd yeah. find a way. That's right. so polarizing, isn't it, Casey? It is. <laughs> it is. Like, I'd be crying. Everyone's going to hate it. It's not going to work. Oh, wait, it did work. <laughs> but you know what? Maybe that's just indicative of that duality you mentioned earlier. The make it work mindset brings out your best and your worst simultaneously. And Casey is our poster child. I am the best and the worst at the same time. <laughs> but you have funny. coping skills. You have- I do have coping skills. I do have coping skills. The only reason I laughed is as we're recording this, my sign and name on here is the worst. Who would most who's most likely to rock a look or an outfit that might be seen on the runway? That's hard right now because we're all behind a ca- I haven't seen you guys wearing clothes and <laughs> I that came out wrong. That came out wrong. <laughs> I haven't seen let me try that again. I haven't seen you guys actually in reality where I would see your full wardrobe because you're behind a camera all the time. That's what I meant. So that one's hard. I'd say Jenny on that one. Yeah, you I think always- of us, you you are the only one who really like, you pull together your outfits. Like I could probably sew the fashion look, but in terms of being able to like pull it off or like wear it, you have an actual fashion sense. You coordinate accessories and yes. the like. Whereas Emily and I have a uniform. It's the leggings. <laughs> The tunic, shirt, dress. They sometimes show up wearing the same outfit and colors. Have Without done it. planning. We'll do it again. Yes. Yes. So I suppose, but I've been living in leggings for 10, all 11 have. months. Yeah. We all have, but you're probably the only one of us that would probably... I've had to buy all new clothes, so it's fine. <laughs> and then which of us would accidentally start a fire? going to explain this one. There's been a lot of fire metaphors. We've talked about the fires of passion and uh, carbon. So yeah, it's on theme, but just barely. Why not? (laughs) And it's not arson. It's accident. Truly by accident. (laughs) Emily? She she always gets her. She was locked herself in a trunk. I don't know. She oh the Uber. I lock myself in a trunk. (gasps) The Uber story. Yeah, we've already talked about my my German and all the and my kid's second birthday party. So if we're playing the off topic game today, we can certainly do it. But I'll tell it. Basically, I was supposed to be at a professional training. In the morning, I accidentally locked my keys in the car. My (laughs) twins, who were two at the time, were in the garage with me, and while I was trying to secure them a ride to daycare via my older sister thank you katie my daughter ate dog food out of the dog food box (laughs) while i was trying to herd them in the right direction and make phone calls so that was rough and i ended up taking an uber to a place 30 to 40 minutes away from my home to get to this training and was lucky enough to catch a ride home from a friend so yeah thanks for playing my rationale out because that's why i have no other reason why but actually start a fight emily the most random issues arise in your life 
I legitimately hope there are no fires in my home or place of employ anytime soon that are my responsibility. I will say in college, I did drop a towel on one of those heat things that make the oven go and started on fire. Luckily, I was right next to a sink and dropped it in. So all's well that ends well, right? I'll own it. That's a really great way to end this game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. So most likely to actually have done that. (laughs) Sorry, guys. All right. And, you know, a a little bit of uh, topical meander courtesy of me today but it's been fun <laughs> all right so getting back onto the topic our main takeaways for today not parsed out by who is doing that but for everybody who's listening to this bear in mind that first of all there is that upside and downside that duality to the make it work mindset bear in mind that the wake it work mindset is a thing that can inspire you that the constraints can inspire you towards creativity towards innovation towards forward trajectory in whatever it is you're doing within the make it work mindset. But bear in mind that it also can can cause stress and strain, not just on yourself, but on other people. So you need to watch out for those around you, check in with your people, but, you know, start to realize as well that you are a designer and you are fierce. You are excellent at something It's probably becoming wildly apparent to those around you during make it work mindset while you are just trying your very, very best to survive. Your fierceness is shining through and you are impressing someone who is nearby and hopefully it's leading you to own it to make connections and to survive what's difficult and to take what's good from it and bring it with you when things become more normally paced again. So... Taste for what's to come. We have some upcoming episodes that we're really excited to be thinking through and talking about with our listenership. And so the next upcoming episode we have is called My So-Called Coaching Life. My husband has been listening to these and he's been like, tell me what you do. What is it that you do? You are, you guys are instructional coaches and let people know what that means because there is... You'll hear of digital learning coaches, you'll hear instructional coaches, you'll hear of math and literacy coaches. So what is it that this coaching profession entails? And what is it that we really do? So we're going to be clarifying some of those things and how we how we own our leadership and leading from in between, even if we aren't necessarily in that, quote unquote, official leadership role, because we do find ourselves often leading from in between. And then the next episode upcoming from there is the other F word. And we'll we'll just leave that as a teaser. No cursing this time. This is how the guild fails forward. And so we'll be talking a little bit about our failures, but to kind of springboard off from the imposter syndrome, it's really when you fail, are you risk taking? Are you reflecting on those failures? And how are you are you, how are you growing from that? Those are what's coming up and we cannot wait to share it with you. That's a wrap on today's episode. It's our sincerest hope to advocate for adult learners, and we aim to contribute to this community with genuine conversations about education, leadership, and topics that matter to you. If you'd like to connect, you can find us on thegroundedlearnersguild.com, on Twitter at GroundedLGuild, at CVeacher, at TechCoachM, and at Jenny Labrie. As always, we believe in the power of feedback. It helps us keep growing and allows us to bring you quality and customized content. Subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review. Tell us about how you made it work and the hacks you use while you're in this mindset. Thanks again for joining us, Casey, Emily, and Jenny in today's episode of the Grounded Learners Guild. See you at the next meeting. And in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.